lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Nancy. Will you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, word that you give us this morning. We thank you for uh, Jesus' uh, revelation to us today that uh, he is the good shepherd. Uh, and um, Lord, as we, as we consider this morning uh, everything that he meant by that, or maybe not everything, but a lot of what he meant by that, um, help us to just be in awe. Help us to uh, help us to be in awe of you and of how um, how Jesus is is filling and fulfilling and recasting all of these promises that you made in the Old Testament. We ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. So I have to tell you, uh, I feel this morning like that uh, that person that's just gotten back from a trip, which we just did, right? We were at Bible study uh, last this past Wednesday, and folks asked how the trip was. And so, you know, you, you take out your phone and you do the obligatory, oh, let me show you some pictures. Uh, so one of the things that we did on the way back was we stopped at the Petrified Forest National Park, which is amazing. Uh, and so I'm showing, so I don't remember who it was, I was showing somebody a picture, and I looked at the picture, and I was like, this doesn't even begin to capture how absolutely beautiful uh, the painted desert is. And I feel this morning, uh, as I'm coming to you to talk to you about the Good Shepherd, that I, I, I'm like, I'm sh- all I can do is show you a picture, uh, and that I can't even begin to express to you how absolutely beautiful what God is revealing to us is in this passage because there are layers upon layers upon layers and I would be here for an hour riffing uh, to get it all out and even then I'm not sure I could do it all. Uh, And this is the nature of the Gospels. The Gospels are the stories of Jesus and what we're doing right now is we're looking at the signs and sayings of Jesus. So in the Gospel of John, there are Six or seven signs, we're only looking at six of them, and there are seven I am statements that Jesus gives us. And at the end of the gospel, John says, these things are written, Jesus to perform many other signs, but these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so what we're doing is we, we want to focus our attention from now up until Easter on these signs and sayings. And today we're coming to the saying, 
I am the good shepherd. Uh, I want you to understand, like, the, 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 the cultural connections that are happening, the, 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 the links that were firing off for Jesus' original audience as they heard Jesus say these words, I am the good shepherd. It would be similar to, um, you know, imagine, like, we start talking about Thanksgiving. And, and all of a sudden, in your mind, as you think about Thanksgiving, right, you're thinking about the foods and the traditions and the smells, right? And all of that stuff just, it takes a little bit and now all of a sudden it's just like front and center and you're experiencing it. In a similar way for, for Jesus' audience, when he begins to talk about the good shepherd, they're getting transported back to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, and, and so what Jesus does in this passage is he, he takes that tradition. We're going to look at several passages in that tradition uh, this morning. He takes that tradition and, and he begins to retell what on one level is a very familiar story. But then what he does is something really unexpected. He puts himself at the center of the story. And that's why at the end, people are saying, this is a demon-possessed lunatic. Right? You, you have to understand, what is it that Jesus is saying that people res, people's response is, this dude is demon-possessed and out of his mind. So obviously what he's saying is not just something that's ho-hum, right? This is something really striking that Jesus is saying to us. So uh, we're going to look, this is, we're not going to look at every single passage, but, but some of the major passages in this tradition, right? Jeremiah, Psalm 23, Jeremiah 23. Ezekiel 34, Zechariah 10 are the key passages in the Old Testament that develop this theme of the Lord as a shepherd. And then in the New Testament, Jesus riffs off this theme four different times. He riffs on it in Matthew 18, in Mark 6, in Luke 15, and here in our passage today, John chapter 10. And then the authors of the New Testament build off of that theme in 1 Peter, Peter does in 1 Peter 5. So you see, this is a, a rich theme woven throughout Scripture. And just for the sake of not being guilty of plagiarism, for a while, I've actually been studying for this particular sermon for about three months because I've been reading a book called The Good Shepherd by a scholar named Kenneth Bailey. Uh, if you want to geek out on, like, deep Bible nerddom, it is a phenomenal book. Uh, but, the, but the geek, the nerd goes deep in the book, just be warned. But I'm, I don't even know where I'm quoting him and what are my own thoughts because I've just been meditating on that book for so long. So we're gonna do two things this morning. We're gonna look at uh, the good shepherd dies for the sheep and the good shepherd gathers the sheep. Most of our time is gonna be spent considering the first point. We're just gonna make some application as we get to the second point. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, that psalm goes on to say, he leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, here's the thing. If a sheep is in the valley of the shadow of death, the sheep is not there because the shepherd led it there. The sheep is there because the shepherd is leading it out, right? This is one of the central ideas of the theme of the shepherd is that the sheep get lost and the shepherd is going out to gather them. And when the sheep is lost, one of the things it has to be most concerned about is the fact that wild animals will come. But sometimes wild animals come even when the sheep is not lost. This is why Fred last week talked about this idea of, you know, over my dead body, if, you're, if, he's, if the shepherd is lying in front of the gate. 
Well, in this particular story, in this parable that Jesus is telling us, he says that one day uh, a shepherd is taking care of the sheep. And along with the shepherd, there is a hired hand that is taking care of the sheep. And lo and behold, out of nowhere, a wolf comes. And this wolf attacks the sheep. And so what ends up happening is that the sheep scatter. They go off in a bunch of different places. And the hired hand bails. And as a result, the shepherd dies. Now, uh, in order to understand the full gravity of this, we know that Jesus is the good shepherd. But what I actually want to do is spend some time first talking about the wolf and the hired hands. Because as we spend time thinking about the wolf and the hired hands, you begin to get a better sense of what it means that Jesus is the good shepherd. So let's talk about the wolf. Um, I think, I've spent a lot of time thinking and meditating about this. And I'm, I'm pretty convinced that what Jesus is doing here is that he is subtly tapping into uh, another thread of the Bible story. Uh, and it is this thread that God's enemy is like a wild animal that comes into attack. And if you think about that thread, the very first time that we see that little theme emerge is in Genesis 3. Right? In Genesis 3, we are told the serpent, uh, the Lord God said to the serpent, oh, no, hold on, back at the beginning of Genesis 3, uh, we're told that the serpent uh, was more crafty than all of the wild animals. Uh, and that it went into the garden, uh, and in effect, right, it lies to the man and the woman, and it scatters them away from the garden, it sends them away from God's presence uh, as a result of their lie and the, uh, the resulting consequences of their sin. But then, this is what God says. He says in Genesis 3, 14 and 15, the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So I, this is what I think is going on. I think that Jesus is by, by saying, hey, there's this wolf, there's this wild animal that comes in to the, where the sheep are gathered and attacks the shepherd. And as a result, the shepherd dies he is tapping back into that Genesis 3 storyline and saying, I am that promised son of Eve who is going to die defending the sheep. He's, he's melding together different storylines of the Bible in order to help us to reflect more deeply on who he is. So that's the wolf. The wolf is the, the spiritual forces of evil in general, but the wolf is also the devil. What about the hired hands? Who are the hired hands? Well, again, uh, you've got to tap into the previous storyline. So in this tradition of the shepherd that you see in Scripture, in this tradition, uh, it starts with Psalm 23. And then when we get to the prophetic books, when we get to uh, Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Zechariah, what we find there is that God has entrusted the care of the sheep to the leaders of Israel. Uh, and when he speaks to them in that role, he calls them the shepherds of Israel. But the problem is that the leaders of Israel were absolutely horrible shepherds. All right, Jeremiah 23. Woe, whenever God starts a sentence with woe, you're in trouble. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Think about that. 
the, the shepherds are supposed to gather. They're supposed to be bringing in the sheep. They're not supposed to be scattering. Who scatters the sheep? Right? The wild animals scatter the sheep. And so the shepherds are acting like the wild animals. In Ezekiel 34, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves should not shepherds take care of the flock. So when Jesus is talking in in John 10, when Jesus is talking about the hired hands, he's connecting back to that. Uh, And what he's doing is he is in a not so subtle way, he is calling out the corruption of the religious leaders in his day. And the religious leaders in Jesus' day were extremely corrupt. Uh, If you don't believe me, keep reading the Gospel of John and see the lengths at which they will go uh, to commit gross injustice by condemning an innocent man named Jesus. So Jesus is, is, uh, is drawing from the corruption of Ezekiel's day and the corruption in Jeremiah's day and how God prophetically condemns their corruption, he draws on that to address the corruption of his day, right? Uh, But what does this speak to for the corruption of our day? Well, again, remember that this theme, this thread uh, is found throughout the Bible. And so what happens next is after the story of Jesus, after the gospel accounts, that Peter picks up on this theme Uh, and makes two important changes to it. Uh, He says this. So the first change is that the flock is now no longer just ethnic Israel, but the flock is now all of those who trust in Jesus. And the shepherds now are no longer the religious leaders of Israel, but they're the elders of the church. And this is what Peter says in 1 Peter 5. He says, uh, to the elders among you, I appeal to you as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, uh, who also will share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. But skip down to verse 4. He is the, the elders are underneath Jesus. He says, when the chief, the, the chief shepherd uh, appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade. So, so what happens, right? Uh, in the New Testament era, the era that we live in, Jesus is still the shepherd. He's the good shepherd. Uh, in the context of a local church, right, those who profess the name of Jesus, those who believe in, believe in Jesus are now counted as the sheep, and the elders are the shepherds that work under the authority of Jesus, and they are being told, you're being held accountable for the way in which you do the work of shepherding. And the problem is that we know that that is sometimes abused really, really badly. I've had enough conversations with many of you here in this church to know that some of you have personally experienced uh, abuse uh, from people who, in the name of Jesus, have uh, uh, totally taken advantage. And they are like those shepherds that God condemned in Ezekiel 34 and in Jeremiah 23. I know some of you have personally experienced it. You've graciously confided your stories with me. 
I know that, uh, that some of us have seen it. Maybe, maybe it wasn't us, but in the context of the churches that we've been a part of in the past, that we've seen those kinds of abuses happen. And I know that all of us, uh, if we're paying any attention, have certainly heard about it. And, and the sobering thing is, right, it's like it's, it can be really easy for us to be like, oh, well, yeah, that's a problem over there. But the reality is that we can't be so naive. Uh, in our own denomination, so Harbor City Church is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. In our own denomination over the last several years, there have been a number of really horrible, gross, disgusting things that pastors and elders have done. Uh, it is despicable. And sadly, our denomination has not always, in fact, more often than not, uh, in some respects, has not held people accountable the way that it should be held accountable. Why do I share this? Because we need to understand that that part of central to the theme of Jesus being the good shepherd is that he is condemning those who would abuse his flock. He will not stand for it and that he will bring justice against those who even in his name seek to hurt his sheep. That's how much he cares about us. So the good shepherd dies. He dies because a wolf attacks. Uh, in this parable, the good shepherd dies because the hired hands flee. They take off. They're nowhere to be seen. But the good shepherd is not a helpless victim. Listen to what Jesus says in verses 17 and 18. He says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. So this is, the, this is the really interesting thing that happens, right? So what Jesus is saying is he's saying, look, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 23, right? He is saying, that's me. I'm the Lord, I'm the good shepherd, you shall not want. He leads me beside still waters, he leads me beside quiet waters. He leads me through the, the valley of the shadow of death. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemy. That's me. That's what Jesus is saying. The, the, the prophets, the condemned, the false shepherds, I'm condemning the false shepherds, right? I'm saying that the hired hands, those who should have been responsible to care for the sheep, they're still bailing, but I am willing to give my life for the sheep. And then uh, what you see as this tradition kind of continues to emerge, you see Ezekiel 34. It's gonna be, this is a long reading, but I'm going to read it to you. And I want you to focus on the word I. 12 times in this passage, okay? This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them as a shepherd looks after a scattered flock when he is with them. So I will, I took, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all of the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them from the nations and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. 
I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, in the settlements, in the land. I will tend to them in good pasture in the mountains, heights of Israel, with their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land. There they will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring them back, the, bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. The reason he destroys the sleek and the strong is because the, the, the sleek and the strong were the sheep that are taking advantage of the other sheep. But in order to do all of that, this is the thing, right? This is, this is, the, this is the, the shift that Jesus makes that makes people go, this dude is nuts. It says that in order for me to be that shepherd, I have to die. Nobody takes my life. The wolf will come and he will eat me. He will destroy me. But he does that because I'm letting him, right? I'm fulfilling the promise that God made to Eve and Adam that one day... A son of Eve, by the way, I'm that son, Jesus is saying. A son of Eve is going to be struck by a wild animal. The wild animal will take that person's life, but in the process, I will defeat the wild animal. I am the one who comes as God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to gather you. And Jesus is saying, I'm the one. I've come. I'm going to gather you. But in order to gather you, I first have to die. So you want to know who Jesus is? Jesus is the good shepherd. But in order for him to be the good shepherd, he has to lay his life down for you. In order for him to be able to fulfill the promises that God made, he has to lay his life down for you. Yes, the religious leaders had a hand to play. They were the hired hands that bailed. Yes, the devil was absolutely involved and he tried to strike at Jesus. Yes, the wolf and the hired hands bear responsibility, but make no mistake about it, Jesus is not a helpless victim. Jesus lays his life down for you so that he could be your good shepherd. But why does he do that? Because the good shepherd wants to gather the sheep, that is, our second point this morning. Remember what happens, right? The wolf attacks, the sheep scatter. And you think, what do we do, right? The hired hands have left, the shepherd is dead. But this is where Jesus then takes the parable and he says, guess what? I die, the reason I die is so that I will be able to gather you. Do you remember that Ezekiel 34 passage? What was God talking about that entire time that he said, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. What was he talking about? Bringing back those who had been scattered. Taking care of those who had been wounded. What Jesus says, again, you see, Jesus is making these subtle shifts that are really profound. He says, God says in Ezekiel 34, I will go to the nations in order to gather my sheep. An Israelite would have heard that and then have said, oh yeah, we've been scattered around the nations and God is going to go and he is going to bring us in. What Jesus says is, I've got other sheep who are not of this fold. Jesus is taking this little line that says, I'm going to go to the nations and gather my sheep. And he's saying, I'm not, yes, I'm going to do that, but I'm not just talking about ethnic Israelites. 
right? I'm talking about Mexicans and Puerto Ricans and Cubans and Caucasians and uh, Italians and Vietnamese and Japanese and Korean, and I know I forgot your ethnicity. Please forgive me. <laughs> Ezekiel 34 says that the shepherd would, would gather those who, uh, that the false shepherd, the bad shepherd scattered the sheep, and Jesus is saying, I'm here to gather you back. Ezekiel 34 said that some of the sheep were injured. Jesus is saying, I'm here to heal you. Ezekiel 34 said that some of the sheep were weak. Jesus is here to give us strength. Ezekiel 34 said that the, that the sheep experienced injustice. And Jesus is saying, I'm here to bring justice. Jesus is placing himself at the center of the story of the shepherd. And up until this point, the only one who was at the center of that story was God. And so Jesus places himself at the center of the story because he is God. And he places himself at the center of the story and says, this is what I am doing to fulfill the promises that have been given to you. Do you see why people thought he was crazy? So now, what do we do with this? First of all, I hope that you walk out of here like I am and you're just like, oh, I've been all week, I've just been like, you can ask Kate, I was like, this, this like there is, can I, there's so much I haven't said that I'm dying because I really want to share with you. So first of all, I hope that we walk out of here this morning and you're just like, oh my goodness, this is so amazing. All these threads, all these storylines that are being connected in Jesus. So that's the first thing. But then the second thing is that I want, I think we want, I think I can say this first, right? We want to be a church that lives out the ethic of the good shepherd. We want to be a church that embodies the culture of the good shepherd, a flock where those who are wounded, those who are hurt, those who have been hurt in other contexts can come here and know that here I will be cared for, here I will be tended, here I will be fed, that we will live out Jesus' command to love one another, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. I know uh, that it's one thing to say that, right? It's one thing to aspire to that, but it's another thing to be that kind of community. Uh, so how do we do that? How do we move towards being that kind of community? Let me, let me offer you uh, three, three things. Uh, first of all, uh, be around, right? Because, because you have to be in relationship with people in order to care about them. Uh, you have to know people in order for them to, to get to a point where they're willing to share their story. And I tell you, like, when, when you, like, I've talked with many of you, I know for, for many of you, your stories and the things that you've gone through, right? And, and it just, like, it increases the capacity of your heart to love people when you know what people are going through. But in order to get that, you have to be around. Uh, secondly, um, uh, we have to be rooted in God's word, right? Because, because it can be nice to have all these aspirations, but, but, but the love that we are talking about is love that is revealed and rooted in God's word. Uh, and so uh, my encouragement to you is, as we get ready, we're wrapping up our Genesis Bible studies. We're going to be studying 
uh, Matthew in a few months. I encourage you, if you've not been a part of a Bible study, to jump into a Bible study uh, to do that. Because, because that, that's a context where you get to know people. And then thirdly, um, we, we have tried to do cultural conversations very intentionally because uh, we, we recognize that there are certain points where there's a lot of friction in our culture, right? And, and so we intentionally pick topics, not all the time, but we try to pick topics that are intentionally raise people's eyebrows and go like, oh, that's kind of divisive. That's the point, right? Because we want to be able to learn how to love neighbors who don't see eye to eye on everything with us. Uh, and so I encourage you to take advantage of those. Those are just practical ways for you uh, to try to live out and help us embody this culture of the Good Shepherd. Uh, so you see why I start off. I, I, I feel like all I'm doing is I'm showing you on my iPhone this picture of the painted desert. And I know in my mind, I'm like, this doesn't even begin to grasp how beautiful it was. Uh, and so in the same way, I'm here and I'm telling you about Jesus the Good Shepherd and I'm, and I'm frustrated because I can't even begin to tell you how beautiful this is uh, and how interwoven it is with the story of the Bible and how much it reveals to us the heart of God. Uh, and, and so it's what I, I want you to walk out and just know Jesus is the good shepherd. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for revealing to us that your son Jesus is the good shepherd. Uh, uh, and Lord, would you please take... Uh, uh, passages from the Bible, and would you uh, help them to become more than just passages? Would you allow what I've said this morning to be more than just a monologue, uh, but that we would really walk out of here with a just amazement, awe uh, at how you how you take this theme and weave it together in, in your son Jesus uh, and make it so much more than the sum of its parts. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.